Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Today, I want to preach to you about Jesus, the church builder. You know, we talked in the Sermon on the Mount with his last parable about one that builds on a rock or sand. Jesus is a builder, and he chooses to build on the rock. He releases this revelation to us in Matthew chapter 16. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Matthew chapter 16. We're going to read verses 17 to 19. As, we, as you turn towards that verse, I want to give you a little background on what's happening. A little background in the context of what we're about to read. Jesus is coming near the end of his ministry. And he chooses to go far away from the land of Israel or far in the upper northernmost regions of the land of Israel to a place called Caesarea Philippi. It's ruled by one of Herod's sons. And in this place is a city called Paneus, and, and it was renamed Caesarea Philippi. But Paneus was its original name because it was, a, it was a city that was a pagan city that would, would worship the demon god Pan of Greek mythology. In fact, many gods were worshipped in this city. They built a, a secular temple to the veneration of Caesar Augustus. There were temples to Baal. There were pagan sacrifices, idols, niches that were carved, and they put up statues. In fact, into the, the back of the rock, they carved a giant gate, and they called it the gate of hell. And they believed that this was the heart of darkness, the very uh, doorway to Hades. This is not a place that you would expect to find a Jewish rabbi and his disciples. In fact, no Jews would have ever come to this place. This was a place for the pilgrimage, uh, from, for pilgrims from all over the Roman Empire to worship whatever God they would worship. Let me tell you, this is a very dark place. Even today, if you were to go there, it, is, it still has the the repercussions, the remnants of darkness. Now all those temples are broken down and niches destroyed, but you can tell something strange was once here when you stand under this cliff face where they murdered and they destroyed and they had blood sacrifices. This truly is what paganism looks like in the ancient world. And here Jesus walks right into the middle of it. Isn't it powerful? Jesus never ignores uh, the, the people that no one else would go to. He goes into Samaria to the woman of the well and he goes into the pagan society unafraid and unashamed, yet not to accept it, but to supersede it. And he stands in the background of all these temples amongst all these worshipers and he asks his disciple a question. Looking around, seeing all the gods, all the people lifted up, he says, who do people say that I am? Clearly there's something unique about Jesus. Clearly, there's something holy. The disciples say, well, some think that you're John the Baptist, resurrected. Jesus declared, John, the greatest man who's ever lived. He, they said, others, Elijah, maybe because he had never died, maybe he's come back and come as a witness for us. Still others, they say, believe you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. They, they all got close with their safe answers of what the people are saying because they could recognize that there's some touch of God on Jesus. So they say God-adjacent people, holy people, spiritual people, they get close. And it's amazing how close society can get. It's amazing how close the crowd can get. Yet we acknowledge that Jesus is something. We acknowledge he's someone. We acknowledge there's, there's a touch of God on him. Close, but not the truth. Right. And so Jesus asked the disciples, okay, but who do you say that I am? 
And this is the question every single individual will have to answer in their life. Who do you say that Jesus is? It doesn't matter what others say. It doesn't matter even what you've said before. Standing before God here and now, who do you say that he is? Now, the disciples would have had an answer, but this is a dangerous question with a dangerous answer. Because if you answer it correctly, it means a worldwide change. And it means a personal change. All the other disciples kind of look at everyone else waiting, who's going to answer this thing? Because if you get it wrong, you really get it wrong. But even to get it right is to put your life on the line. Yeah. Peter, Simon, Simon steps up with his boldness and his courage and his faith, and he says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You are the one we've been waiting for. You are the promised one. You are the chosen one. What a moment. If he wasn't right, this would have been blasphemy and it would have been his life. But thank God he's right. And Jesus says to Simon, what we're going to read right now as we pick up in the book of Matthew 16, and Jesus answered him and said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus declares with this answer that he is here to build one thing. Turn to your neighbor, say one thing. He's here to build the church. The eternal powerful, unstoppable church of Jesus Christ. And you have to understand this. Jesus uses people to build this church. He wants to use you. He wants to use me to build us into something eternal and significant. The most eternal and significant use of your life is to build the church. But we must, in order to do that, in order to be a part of this creation process, we must deny the secular in order to be a part of the sacred. We must deny the world in order to be built by the word. We must deny the present and the temporary in order to grasp the eternal and the glorified. I'm here to tell you today that the greatest thing you could ever be a part of on earth, the one thing that will outlast earth is the church of Jesus Christ. It is the ark that Noah built. It is the rescue ship that will bring you through the seas. It is the only way to heaven, and Jesus is the door. There is something powerful about the church of Jesus Christ. Please hear me today. Nothing even comes close. Jesus did not choose to build a government. He did not choose to build an institution. He didn't even choose to build a location. He has superseded all those things. Because even if you got all godly people in government, it could not answer this ills of society. Even with all of our education, if we knew everything, we could not solve the problem of sin. And even if we had a temple, it would not be enough. No, Jesus came to establish a church in the hearts of men and women. And it crosses every border, goes through every race, rests on every tongue, and will continue into eternity. you got to understand what you are a part of. The one thing he promised to build, his church. And he can build it. Because Jesus was a builder. 
He was a builder. It's interesting that his physical occupation on earth points to his supernatural and eternal occupation. You know, he was a carpenter. We find in Mark chapter 6, when he's back in Nazareth, the people call him carpenter. And they say, isn't this the carpenter? They've heard his teachings. They saw the miracles. They knew he's powerful. And yet they choose to reject him and belittle him, only looking at who they knew who he was. Familiarity breeds contempt. And they call him a carpenter. But you know what's interesting? This word that they use, carpenter, in the Greek, it's tekton, which actually is it's actually a larger definition than just carpenter or one who works with wood. It actually is the word builder or craftsman. You could use stones or you could use metal. So Jesus was like a modern-day construction worker. That should help some of you. Put on your car heart and be like, I'm, I'm like Jesus. Jesus was a builder. I wonder how long the disciples thought, what's he going to build? Will he rebuild the temple? You know, when Jesus said, I'll tear down this temple and rebuild it, I wonder if the disciples thought, is he really going to do it? Because he has the skills. What's he going to build? You know, is, is, is he going to build a new ark? Because we lost it. We no longer have the presence. Is he going to build a new ta tabernacle? I wonder how long they thought, what's he physically going to build? And here, here, towards the end of his ministry, he brings the revelation of what he came to build. The backdrop is all these mighty temples and these large gates. And his background is a builder. And now he reveals his purpose. He says, I'm going to build something. But it's not what you're going to expect. I'm going to build a church. I'm going to build a church. I'm going to build a church. Turn to your neighbor and say, build the church. The word church in the Greek is ekklesia. But the, the, the definition of ecclesia is a called out assembly. In other words, the voice that the created the universe is now calling your name. Get thee up out of thy tents and out of thy father's country and come to a place I will show you. He's calling you out of the world. He's calling you out of darkness. He's calling you out of your past. He's calling you out of your sin. But I'm thankful that he doesn't just call me into a lonely, isolated place. He doesn't call you to be a monk in a desert somewhere. No, he calls you into the assembly, the gathering, the togetherness of the saints of Jesus Christ. He has put you alongside who he's put you. And that's what a church is. It is a called out gathering, assembly of the saints. And Jesus says, I'm going to assemble my own worshipers. And think about who he says this to. The small group of people, him and 12 disciples, amidst of all that was built. You got to think all of the people that were there to worship, the pilgrims. He's speaking to the saints, small group of saints, amidst the thousands of the secular. And they might have thought, well, this is a small start. How could we have a, an impact? Look how far behind we are. Look how much the enemy has already built. Look at all of the paganism around us and the hedonism around us. And maybe if you were to look around the world right now, you might have a similar reaction than the disciples. Lord, you promised to build something eternal and lasting and powerful. But when I look around, it seems like the whole world is lunging towards hedonism. It looks like the whole world is consumed with occultism and paganism. And you might even feel sometimes like me where it's like, Lord, do we even have a shot? It seems like, seems like we're so small in comparison to them. But I want you to know that's how the church has always felt. The church has always been the David. 
And the world has always been the Goliath. And yet the end will always be the same. I can bring you to Caesarea Philippi. I want you to know those temples are crumbled. Those statues are smashed. Those rocks are gone. The gate is torn down. Our church is alive. Our church is growing. Our church is thriving. Our church is built. That prophetic statement is true then. It's true now. He will build his church. And it will be unstoppable because he has put his hand to it. He puts his hand to the church. He puts his breath on his people. He puts his sweat and his blood into the gathering, and he will come back for a beautiful bride. Money will not build the church. Passion will not build the church. Attendance will not build the church. Ads or billboards or commercials will not build the church. Famous people will not build the church. Celebrity pastors will not build the church. Famous videos will not build the church. Virality will not build the church. One thing will build the church. It is Jesus Christ, his might, his power, his spirit, his anointing, his word, his thoughts, his statutes. It will be Jesus and Jesus alone. He is enough. So we don't have to build our own thing. We don't have to have some good idea, some great invention, some amazing marketing. We don't have to build our own thing. That might have been the temptation of the disciples when they caught this revelation that he's God. They might have looked around at the other temples and said, well, we got to build one. In fact, that's what Peter said a few days later when Jesus is transfigured on the mountain and Elijah and Moses come. Peter says, we need to build a new tabernacle. And Jesus is like, you don't get it. I already told you. I will build it. I'll use you if you're aligned with me, but I will build it. The psalmist says that unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Our desire is to build the church on the word of God because we want it to be something far greater than relevant, far greater than large. We want it to be lasting. We want Jesus to be the architect. Jesus is the foreman. Jesus is the foundation, and Jesus lets us partner with him. Isn't it amazing that he chooses to let people be a part of this process? He doesn't need us. Just like God didn't need Adam to name the animals, he made the universe. He could have come up with names, but he gives Adam a little job. Partner with me. You'll like it. He lets us be a part of it so that we, like a little child helping dad build the shed, get to be a part of the experience. God says, come, come alongside me and, and I'll teach you. I'll walk with you. I'll grow you and you'll become like me. By the end of this project, you're going to learn some things and you're going to be like your father. And that's why he says it to Peter. He says, you didn't get this revelation on your own, but heaven revealed it to you, but you were bold enough to say it. And I will build my church, but what's he going to build it on? People. So he says, I tell you, you are Peter person. And on you, I will build my church. See, before this, this moment, he was called Simon, which name means hearer. And he heard from God. Yeah. He got the revelation that you are Messiah. And that's so important. You've got to get that revelation. And I wonder, have you had that revelation that Jesus is God? More than a good teacher, more than a moralist, more, more, than, more than brilliant, more than a genius. Have you had the revelation? No, he's the one that my soul's been waiting for. He's the one that I've been searching for. Have you had this revelation? 
And the revelation is good, but the next step is even more important. Have you made that confession? Lord, you are my God. I am not God of my life. I am not in charge anymore. These other things are not in charge anymore. My confession now is you and you alone. Jesus, you are my God. When you have this revelation and when you make this confession, I want you to know everything changes. The whole of your identity will change when you make this confession. Behold, God says, I make all things new. And that includes you. And so Simon starts out saying, you are the Messiah. But after he makes that confession, something changes in him. And God says, no longer are you just a hearer. Now you're going to be a doer. No longer are you Simon. Now you're Peter. And Peter means rock in the Greek. It's a play on words. It's a name, but it also is a meaning. You are now a rock. And I'm going to build my own house. And when the storm comes, it's not going to crumble because I'm going to build on you, the person. Peter was the first apostle. But even greater than them, I'm going to build on the revelation revealed in, by you that he is the foundation stone. You are the rock, but there's an even greater rock. That is the rock of Jesus Christ. I'm going to build on the revelation that I am the Messiah because Peter is still gone, but God is still building the church. And so there's this powerful moment that Peter receives a brand new identity and part of it a mission. And if you're looking for purpose, you got to come to Jesus. If you're looking for mission, you got to come. If you need a new identity, maybe you, you're confused about your identity. Maybe you don't know who you are. Maybe you've been searching. Maybe, maybe people pronounce things over you that should have never, ever been pronounced. But instead of wailing in that place, come to the one that can rename you. Make the confession that you are God. And I believe you will receive a brand new identity. Your mind will change. Your heart will change. Your life will change. He will grow you up. Things will begin to happen. You might not even be able to explain it. People can tell it. They say, what happened to you? I don't know. All I know is I once was lost. Now I'm found. I once was blind, now I see. I used to be Simon, but now I'm Peter. I used to be Saul, but now I'm Paul. I used to be wishy-washy, but now I'm strong. I used to be afraid, but now I'm bold. I, I used to be nervous. I used to be filled with anxiety. I used to be, used to be, used to be, used to be, used to be. But I went into the waters of baptism, and I came up with a new name, a new purpose, a new identity. And it's not because of me. It's not because of my work. It's not because of my will. It's not because I tried, but I met the man in the word of God that became flesh and he showed me who I really am and I'm building something that matters and I want you to know you're a part of this revelation because Peter the rock invites you into it he writes a letter to you and me in first Peter chapter 2 verse 4 he says as you come to him you're a living stone. Oh, it's as you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Jesus is the first living stone. But you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, built up. As a spiritual house, say spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, say holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices, say spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The rock invites you to be a living stone. God will build on him, but God wants to build on you as well. I don't know if you've been following the, the work that's been done on Notre Dame in Paris five years ago. It burned down. It was a horrific sight. 
looking like, like, like it was the fall of Rome or the burning of the, the library in Alexandria. It just looked like this, this moment that was so horrific. No one thought it could be rebuilt. But they began to pull out the original architectural drawings and plans. And they put a giant fund and put a five-year plan together. It says, we're going to rebuild this cathedral based on the same plans in the same way that it was originally built. In other words, no modern machinery. So what they had to do is they had to go get artisans and craftsmen from all over the world. Many in these disciplines that have been long forgotten. And they gathered them all together and they went and they got stones from the original quarries and, and they, got, they, got, they got wood that would have matched. And, and they brought all of these people together and over the last five years they've been rebuilding this cathedral, this edifice, using the same methods that were employed however many hundreds of years ago it was built. But the, the, the qualification is that you must be a master in your profession to be able to work on that church. And I think sometimes when it comes to building the church, many Christians discount themselves because they feel like, well, I'm not an artisan. I'm not a craftsman. Or let me say, I'm not a master in my profession yet. I don't know how to preach. I don't know how to play instruments. How could I serve? I, 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 don't, I don't know what, I don't have any schooling. I, 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 don't, I don't have the right words. Sometimes you might even say, well, I'm not a saint. I, I still got struggles, still got issues. So how could God ever use me to build the church? I'm here to tell you today that your confession is your qualification. If you can stand and say, you are the son of the living God, then Jesus will turn to you and say, that's the right confession. And on that confession, I will build my church and I will change your identity and I will begin to heal you and correct you and challenge you and change you. And if you stick with me, I'm gonna use you. And you might say, well, Lord, I don't have much to use. And God says, don't worry, neither did the disciples when I started with them. But by the end, they were mighty men, mighty women of God who followed me and served me. And I can do anything anything if you'll just offer it. The greatest thing that you could do is offer your life. And Peter accepts you into this mighty building process, saying, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a rock, but you too are living stones. And as you build, you yourself are going to be built up. What is he doing? He's inviting you into the production of the church. And then, into the production. It, may, it might not be a physical cathedral, but it is certainly as important, certainly more eternal. It is the church of Jesus Christ, and he invites you in. When the men of the house were building this church in 1995, they had these sweatshirts that said work crew, and on the back they said mission unstoppable. And for the 25th anniversary, we had these sweaters reprinted, work crew, mission unstoppable on the back. Awesome. Awesome sweaters. The other day, I was at Starbucks, not getting coffee, because I'm fasting. <laughs> and I pulled up to the window and I, I saw the sweater and it, and it said work crew. The young woman working on the cashier said work crew. And I thought, that's a sick sweater. Like I forgot that we, that was our, and I thought like, wow, that's, how, that's cool. Then she turned around and I saw Mission Unstoppable and I said, that's our sweater. <laughs> and then I recognized, oh, hey, how are you doing? She's in Starbucks, but she's part of the work crew. Wherever you work, you're part of the work crew. Wherever you live, you're part of the work crew. You're watching online, but you're part of the work crew. And you are building something holy, mighty, eternal. Peter calls it a spiritual house. In other words, it's not small. It's not insignificant. 
It's not temporary. It's supernatural. Even more than a location, the house we're building is supernatural. And this house has even spawned many houses. New Life South Coast, uh, they celebrated 10 years as a spiritual house in New Bedford. Fall River's doing phenomenal uh, it, with Redemption Church, Legacy Church, and Warwick. There are many spiritual houses that have been a part of this house. You're a part of building this spiritual house, and it's supernatural. And we make no apologies for it being a supernatural thing. Some people say, well, the Holy Spirit, you know, it's not, he's not weird. It's like, no, he is weird because he's not normal or, or he's not natural, I, I should say. I, I really think we're the weird ones because we're so unsupernatural. No, no, the Holy Spirit is supernatural. If you could understand everything about God, he would not be who he is. No, there are things that are so beyond us, things that he does that make no sense or so beyond. When the fire comes from heaven and sits on the people's head, you might describe that as weird, yes, but it's holy yeah. and it's awesome. And it's mighty, and we make no apologies in this church for believing in, desiring the supernatural. We are a presence-driven church. You see those homes that have those signs, those yard signs out front that says, like, we believe, you know, and whatever the government tells us. You know those signs? We should get one of those signs. In this house, we believe in speaking in tongues. In this house, we believe in anointing with oil. In this house, we believe in baptism in water. In this house, we believe laying our hands on the sick and seeing them healed. And in this house, we believe absolutely everything in this Bible from beginning to end. We don't water it down. We don't deny it. We don't move away from it. We rest our whole lives on this word and let the Lord build a spiritual house. But Peter continues and says, not only will you be a spiritual house, you yourselves will become a holy priesthood. I hope, I, you know, I hope you see yourself that way. That when you go to your work, you show up. Now, you might not be wearing a robe with those tassels like priests do, but you're a priest. Thank God your company's got you. Thank God your family's got you. They might mock you, but when they're in the hospital, they'll call you because they got a priest in their home. Thank God your children got you. Thank God, because you show up as a priest. You might say, well, I don't know exactly what to say. Don't worry about it. You got the Holy Spirit with you. He'll give you the words to say. You know how to pray. You got a connection to the Almighty, and he's sending you out into the world as priests for the world, and my, my God, we need priests in this world. You are the good Samaritans for the world. You are the evangelists in the world. You are the ones that are going out in the highways and the byways and the hedgerows and you're gathering people and you're inviting them to the master's table. That's why we have almost no room left in this church. It's because of you. You are sending the stream out. You're sending the podcast out. You're praying for people. You're inviting people. It's not because of anything I'm doing. It's not because of anything the church is doing. It's not because we're doing a new series or a campaign or giving away a flat screen TV. It is because the people say we are priests and we are here to bring people to the master's table. And I'm seeing it everywhere. One young man on our A-team, he was coming to, to prayer at, at 6 a.m. and all the water was on the road. He hit some water and spun out and crashed his car on the way here. Now, he might, he might have had the opportunity to get frustrated. He might have said like, Lord, I'm going to church. Why did this happen? Why have you left me? But he didn't. Instead, when the tow truck showed up, 
He, invo- he invited the tow truck operator to church. <laughs> Five in the morning. You know what the tow truck operator said? I've been feeling like I need to go back to church. I can't believe you said that. Give me the address. Come on, what is that but a priest? What does it look like to be a priest? Peter tells us we offer spiritual sacrifices. They're holy and acceptable to God. Spiritual sacrifices, prayer and fasting for 21 days, that's a spiritual sacrifice. Showing up for prayer every night, early in the morning, it's a spiritual sacrifice. When you give in the tithes and the offerings, it's a spiritual sacrifice. There are men and women that showed up here today at 6 a.m. There's over 225 people serving in this building in the next today alone. It's spiritual sacrifice. There's one man on the A-team, he's on security, he's faithful in the house, but he, he, he'd never seen what it looks like when the doors are closed before everybody comes in, and he was on security a couple weeks ago, and he saw us getting everything ready and getting the chairs and getting the stage and turning on the lights and testing the sound and the worship, and he said to Pastor Watson, he said, I can't believe all of this. He said, I know, I know it's a lot of work to put the church on, but I can't believe what I'm seeing, how much it takes to open the doors for the house of the Lord. Come on, it's priests. It's sacrifice preparing the house of the Lord. What we do with We Heart Lives, so many different things, but I want you to please hear me today. It's because of the serving and the selflessness of the saints that the church grows. This church is not built on the talent of the few, but on the sacrifices of the many. It is built on men and women like you who give your all. Can you say amen? Amen. Rested on Jesus Christ. That's why Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him shall not be put to shame. That's who we're building on. And I want you to know today, you will not be put to shame. Can you say amen? And so today I want to speak to you just a little bit longer about the vision for this house, what we're building. God's done so much incredible things over these past 30 plus years. It's been incredible. But I want you to know he's just beginning. The vision is strong. The eyes are bright. The future is good. And whatever comes this year, we are not going to be afraid to approach it with vision, with faith. Can you say amen? So I want to speak to you very quickly about some of the things, and we're going to speak much more about these things in the year to come, that I feel God is speaking to me to build for this house in 2024. The first thing that I feel God calls us to build in this next year is people. Our vision is to build people. I I pray that you become strong. I pray that you become holy. I pray that you begin to know the Word of God. Our goal is to bring deep discipleship, more than one meal a week on Sunday, but that you will get a meal every day. You'll learn how to have devotionals. Like I said, we're working on an app that will help you have daily devotionals, just one of the many things. We're working on awakening you so that we can bring you through courses so that you can begin to understand the Bible and go deeper into it. In February, we're gonna be having courses for marriages and families and parenting and doctrine so that you can go deeper into the Word of God. Why? Because we want to found our house on a rock. So when the wind comes and the storm blows, we will not have built a sandcastle. We will build something that stands. Well, the only way that to do that is to build it on strong individuals that get married to other strong individuals. 
and build strong families, that build strong children, that builds a strong community, that builds a strong society. And we will look radically different than the world because we reject the world wholeheartedly and we receive the word completely. May that be in our church in this next year as we go forward. The second thing I believe we're called to build is God's house. God's house. And I do mean the physical house on these 40 acres that God has given us. I understand the church is far, far more than a building, but I also know there are sacred places and sacred moments. And there has been sweat and there has been oil and there has been anointing in this house for so many years and it's just the beginning. But the problem we're running into is we're running out of room. We don't have enough parking spaces. We don't have enough chairs. We don't have enough classrooms for the kids. It's amazing. It's amazing to see the growth that has happened in the last year. The beginning of last year during prayer, I felt that God gave me a word in the middle of prayer, and the word was expansion. I didn't know at that time that we were going to knock down those walls and that we were going to expand the lobby. And right now, we're working on expanding the other side of the lobby, renovating. Hopefully, we'll have it open for Easter. I didn't know that we were going to be doing that. I didn't know that today we were going to be ordaining two men and expanding the, pastor, the pastoral ministry. I, I didn't know that the church was going to grow. And I, I don't normally like to give numbers because I don't think it's about numbers. As I said, I don't believe attendance grows the church. I believe health does. But I didn't know that in the last year, God was going to send a thousand more people to the church in one year. And I want to celebrate. We are far above our pre-COVID numbers. Thank God. What the enemy meant for evil, God has used for good. Doors aren't shut. Church is thriving. Thank God. But man, we have so much more to do. And I want you to know we're working on it. I know it's a, a traffic jam in the parking lot. We are working on it. We need to add 50 more spots. We need to probably get another parking lot. You know, I, I, we got to find a place to add another service. Why? Because I believe our spiritual capacity is greater than our actual room. So you might need to start praying that that wall comes down. You might need to start praying because we need more room. I just feel the Holy Spirit saying, make room, make room, make room. And I don't know if it'll be a year or two years or three, but I know that if this keeps going like this, the cup is overflowing. And we give it to the Lord and the Lord is sending it. And our goal is never, hear me, it's never been to grow. Our goal has been to, our goal has been to steward the people that God has sent us well. And it feels like God just keeps sending and you keep gathering. And so we got to keep growing. Thank you, Jesus. Enlarge the house. Lord, we ask for more parking spaces. Lord, we ask for more room. Lord, we ask for more connection, more classrooms. We ask for more lobby. We ask for more and the ability to handle it. And the third thing, as I said, I'm going to speak so much more about this in the next year. Vision for 2024 is I believe God's calling us to, to start a school. Amen. We know where the attack is right now. It's so clear. You don't even need that much discernment to see that the enemy is coming after children in a way that is so brazen and so blatant and so demonic. But we are not unaware of the enemy's schemes. In church, we are going to fight back. And please hear me. I will not and you will not be told that that is wrong. 
We are going to fight for our children. We are going to protect their mind, their identity. We're going to protect their sexuality. We're going to protect their spirits. We're going to protect their life. So we're going to launch this school. Amen? If you know a teacher that's a man or woman of God, send them our way. If you're a parent and you've been considering it, we're going to have uh, exploratory meetings come out. And maybe you are, are a benefactor where you say, I want to give to this thing. It's going to be a giant startup cost. But we're going to move not by finances, but by faith and let the Lord bring the resource. Amen? And so I wanna challenge you in this. If you made a prayer card this year and you put some things on it, see this as the church's prayer card. Yeah. Write these things down and put it next to your prayer card and pray, pray these things forward. When the opportunity comes in the year to give, please be ready, let's give. If there's an ability to serve, come and serve. Why? Because we're here to build the house of the Lord. Partner with Christ and do what he is doing because that's what Jesus came to do, build his house. And he uses people to build his house. He wants to use you and me to build us up into something eternal and significant. And I want to declare this over you and declare this over us, that we will be an unstoppable church. For as Jesus already prophesied, that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So I'm here today to declare that the church was always meant to be on the offense, cutting a sharp contrast against the world, using all of its tools, prayer, preaching, and prophecy in firm opposition of the enemy. Now, the enemy has a fortress, but we are a battering ram. And where the church gets into trouble is when we instead listen and agree with the opposition from the gates of hell. We become familiar with it or we even accept it like Lot. We move our tents closer and closer to the shadow of its gates until ultimately we join its community, we appropriate its culture, and we conform to its convictions. But, but I'm here to tell you, the church is awakening. We are not going to defend the world. We are not going to find agreement with the world. We are not going to tolerate the world. We will not defend the very thing that we were created to destroy. We were called to tear down the world. The church is awakening. It's finding its holiness again. It's finding its values again. And it's finding its voice again. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This year, we will proudly stand in opposition to evil in all of its forms, in all of its institutions, even in all of its popularity. We will protect our hearts and our homes by the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. We will raise the shield of faith, faith not in the economy, not in the government, not even in our ability, but in our creator and king, Christ Jesus. And we will build his house, eternal, mighty, and matchless. And like the gates of hell fell in your lives, may the gates of hell fall in many, many, many more people's lives as our church assails it with all we got. Thank you, Jesus, that you are using us to bring awakening to this region. Thank you, Jesus, that you are using us to move the gospel forward. Thank you, Jesus, that you are using us to build your church. May it be holy and established. May the gates of hell fall before it. 
Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.